Indigenous people have gone through generations of trauma caused by the Canadian government. They've advocated for change and reparations for many decades, but the government has rarely acknowledged it. And then this poses the question, are Indigenous people valued in Canada? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because the government has said to Indigenous people and everyone in Canada that they are planning to do something about it. But currently, there haven't really been any large movements of change. This is especially true as we see Canadian politicians always rely on Indigenous issues as a way to benefit their own reputation for the general public. They always claim that they care for their well-being and want to support them and their well-being, but they never really take any action to support this claim. A certain Vincent Man... I didn't even, I didn't even say his name. Keep going. Why are you plunging his head? A perfect example of this is Thanksgiving. Indigenous people consider Thanksgiving as a day of mourning, while most people don't even know where Thanksgiving really came from. The person who introduced Thanksgiving is Vincent Massey, the general governor at the, the governor general at the time of uh, Canada. This really shows how deep-rooted colonial values are in Canadian society. A simple holiday such as Thanksgiving is often seen as a day off, but the true meaning behind this uncovers a history of indigenous genocide and trauma that has been fulfilled and funded by the Canadian government for generations. I agree with you, Arpan. I think that although the Canadian government may act like these racist values are no longer present in Canadian society, but it is still evident that they are. An example is how some indigenous communities still don't have access to clean drinking water. Now, adding on to Jazane's point, I want to talk about how in the past, the government has realized many mistakes that they did, but did not really fix them. So an example is like in 1948, the Canadian government released the human, uh, human rights, but then they realized that how they treated indigenous people and how wrongly they treated them. And then eventually they, um, they got rid of the Indian Act. And basically for people that do not know what the Indian Act is, the Indian Act was basically many things that banned many cultural things uh, relating to indigenous people. Like for example, there was like the Sundance and they uh, banned the Sundance. So anyone who wanted to do the, was celebrating the Sundance, were, those people were ar arrested. So then Canada finally realized their mistakes and abolished the Indian Act. But this was, they think that by abolishing a few things and changing a few things, the government thinks that they're doing a lot. But in reality, this is not doing all too much. This is especially true as we see how uneducated the Canadian population is about Indigenous issues and trauma. With the recent findings of Indigenous children that were buried in Indigenous schools, this is especially true as how uneducated the Canadian population is about Indigenous trauma and their history. With the recent discovery of Indigenous children that were buried under residential schools, the entirety of Canada... Now, adding on to Zane's point, I want to talk about the government and how they created the Indian Act. So basically in 1885, the government outlawed religious Sundance under the Indian Act. So meaning that if anyone tried to celebrate the Sundance or do any rituals, these people would be arrested. And then later on, like a couple of years later, in 1948, when Canada released the Human Acts, uh, the Human Rights, 
uh, Canada realized that how they treated the indigenous people very, very brutally. And they realized that what they did was really wrong. And then and finally, three years later, after they created the human rights, they abolished and completely amended the Indian Act and got rid of the ban. And after this huge realization, they realized that how horribly they, uh, how horribly they uh, treated indigenous people. But this was not only because of their realizations, this was because of advocations by the indigenous community. I think it's a very unique point of how the Canadian government is willing to own up to their actions in the past, but it's not really doing anything to help reconcile for their past actions. This is especially evident as how uneducated Canadians are about Indigenous history and the trauma that they faced. This is also explicitly shown with the discovery of Indigenous children under residential schools. Canadians were shocked as Indigenous trauma was often not taught in the past, which created a which created a traumatizing moment as many Canadians were exposed to the horror and brutality that the Canadian government had. The fact that Canadians learned about Indigenous trauma to social media rather than education provided directly by the government is absurd. When you think about how much power and influence the government has over what Canadians think and what Canadians see on a daily basis, it really shows that Indigenous values and people are really not at the priority of the Canadian government. We define what it means to be Canadian as typically positive terms, that is that we are respectful, we are kind, but we often ignore the underlying meanings or negative meanings about Canadians. You know, I completely agree about Canadians being ignorant about Indigenous history. This is a little embarrassing for me to say, but here it goes. Uh, not only did I not know anything uh, I, about the Indigenous meaning behind um, Thanksgiving, I did not know what Thanksgiving was at all. I just thought Thanksgiving was where Americans throw around pigskin or something. Um, turns out there's a lot more behind uh, Thanksgiving than what schools actually tell you. Um, there was actually a lot of violence from the pilgrim side uh, towards the Wanapoag. I don't know if I can say that correct, but uh, their tribe. Um, continuing on to that, uh, I also agree that the Canadian government doesn't teach enough about Indigenous history, especially the Métis people who lived in Manitoba. I, for one, did not know about how the Canadian government really isolated the Métis people and forced them out of their land through something known as the script system, where they dealt with Métis as individuals and got them to move away from their land. A common fact that many Canadians do not know is that one of Canada's key provinces, Nunavut, in the northern part of Canada, was actually created by Nunavut seeking for sovereignty over their own land. Between the 1970s and 1990s, the Inuit communities in the northern Canada decided to fight stand. Oh. Okay, hold on. Can I repeat? Oh yeah. Um, I I also agree with Alex and. Arpan's point with how the Canadian government doesn't teach enough about Indigenous peoples. Um, for an example, I really learned a lot about the Métis because we honestly have not learned much about the Métis and how they were pushed out of their land through something known as the script system, 
where um, Métis people were dealt with by, um, as individuals, and they were forced to either choose between gaining money or land. But what they didn't know was that this land was like very far away from their own land. So they had to completely move, meaning that the Canadian government was just pushing them out of their own land. We often hear the same things about Indigenous people, that they live on the land, they're really tied to their culture, but we never really celebrate their own contributions towards Canadian society. For example, Nunavut, a province in Canada, was founded by the initiative of, of Inuit communities to take a stance against colonialism and fight for sovereignty over their own land. Nunavut was founded by an organization called ITC. ITC negotiated with the Canadian government for over 20 years, from 1970 to 1930s. The ITC organization negotiated with the government over a stressful period of 20 years from 1970 to 1993 over simple land rights over the land that they were originally on. The Canadian government was reluctant to share powers, as again, that would be taking powers away from them and would empower Indigenous communities. Now, another thing that I want to throw out there about the Canadian government is that the, the Canadian government thinks that by taking small changes, it can lead to big changes, like how I previously mentioned about the Indian Act. They thought that abolishing and getting, getting rid of the Indian Act was really a big, significant thing. Yes, it was a really big, significant thing, and it was a really positive thing that they got rid of it. But in reality, it does not do too much because the Canadian government thinks that they can make one small change and it can just improve it for like the next 10 years. But in reality, all these problems keep piling up and they just push it onto the side and it doesn't do a, a lot. I agree with that, Kanish. Another point I wanted to bring up was um, how it's how I noticed that it's very evident over time, and even in my film, that whenever the indigenous people and communities have to go through hardships, um, they always they they can never rely on the government to help them, and only they can only rely on each other and come together as communities to help each other. Now. In the media text, Our People Will Be Healed, we saw uh, there was a Cree community, and it was talking about the Cree community stories and everything. And adding on to Zane's point, it was the, uh, the Cree community and the people in the community realized that there's nothing much that the government was able to do to help them. So the Cree community understood all the challenges that they're facing. And based on these challenges, they, um, they worked together to create a school and and many different things around the community. So it adapts to everyone in the Cree community. This really shows how like indigenous communities are treated as invisible or like they do not exist, which really poses the question of, is the government intentionally ignoring indigenous voices for the purpose of helping them integrate into Canadian society? This would mean things like adopting more Western values or moving to areas that do not have as much indigenous cultural values presence. Uh, yeah, I totally think that's what's happening. I mean, um, there's a clear, obvious pattern. You saw that you saw this once with um, what was it? Indigenous schools. Um, they were they were implemented to try to get people to leave um, their culture and integrate into Western society at the time. 
Um, I do believe something like this is happening right now, but it's a lot more passive than just um, those Indian schools. I really find it odd how, even though the kindergarten is not directly racist towards indigenous voices or communities, you do not hate them, but for some reason that they just decide that they're not as important. Even though we are past colonialism, the direct impacts of colonialism, colonizers is not really a thing in Canada anymore. I also wonder why these values are still here in Canada. I feel like the Can Canadian government thinks of Indigenous people not really as a nu nuisance, but like they kind of forget about them. They don't know like anything about them and they just act like they don't exist. So they don't really have, like they don't want to really help them. While they might like help them here and there with like small things, it's not really a priority and they'd rather prioritize other things over the Indigenous communities. It's also kind of like, based on the way, like how the Canadian government is treating these Indigenous people, it's kind of like the government sees them mainly as like partners, not a part of the Canadian, uh, a part of Canada, basically. I agree with what uh, Rohan and Arpan said. It's not that the Canadian government are directly doing anything, but it's more that they just like forget about the indigenous people and they just don't really care. It's not anything that they're directly are doing intentionally. I think that the Canadian government doesn't feel uh, responsible for anything that happens to indigenous people. They just kind of leave them aside to do whatever they want. Um, You're right, because um, the Canadian government has. Sorry, wait. You're right, because the Canadian government has abandoned the Indigenous people on multiple occasions, as history shows. For example, when the after the script system that was imposed on the Métis people, the Canadian government honestly did not want anything to do with the Métis people, and they just left them abandoned. So the Métis ended up building things like. Um, communities alongside roads, and they were basically living under poverty while the Canadian government chose to do nothing about it. And I think that because the government was not deciding to do anything uh, about this and uh, letting the uh, Inuit people to live in poverty, it really just created like a big picture in the indigenous people's heads. And then this relates to the, uh, the Cree community because many people in the Cree community realize that the government the Canadian government does not want to do a lot um, with, uh, to do with the indigenous people. And then this caused many Cree, uh, like the newer generation, and kids in the part of the Cree community to like not want to learn their native language because of the outside influence, because they think that they're outside of society, they want to become more Western and modern. So then all these students, uh, all these students and kids do not really know their native language. And then this also relates to like uh, the current sta uh, the current problem in India, where like many students and um, many students are thinking that um, learning Hindi is not that great because although it is their native language, they think it's that it's not that great of a language co compared to English. They think it's a more of a superior language, and it's you get more opportunities if you know that in the language of English. But um, but in reality, there's nothing really uh, wrong with knowing your native language and while knowing both your languages. Uh, but they think that uh, because of an outside influence, just like the Cree community, the Indian, uh, Indian kids think that uh, knowing English is better. So then they, uh, they want to learn English and they want to forget about Hindi. So then they're kind of losing something, which is kind of affecting uh, their life because 
they're losing something which is so native to them and so related to their culture. I think so shows an underlying meaning of racism in Canada. Canada is often painted as a very accepting and equitable country on the world stage. But once you arrive in Canada, the so social values of a society always push you to conform to fit in. If you always decide to reject these values, oftentimes you are neglected or you're left out. You're seen as an outlier. Now, adding on to your point, I want to talk about how the Canadian government has impacted and influenced what the <clears throat> when the Cree uh, community and the indigenous people think of themselves. Now, based on like, you know, how the Canadian government does not want to do anything with the indigenous people, many people, a part of the indigenous community, like the Cree community, think that they're, they're, they're like outliers. The Canadian, the Canadian government does not want to do anything uh, to do with them. So and this makes them think that they're different and they have to be more like Canadians and uh, they have to be like, quote unquote, normal. And so then people are like starting, to, uh, so many people are part of the Cree community are starting to forget about their language, their culture and many things like that because they're trying to be like more modern. And then this relates to what, what the current state and what is happening mainly in North India, where many people, many Indians, many students think that uh, English is a superior language and that knowing that they're knowing their native language like Hindi is not that great and that they should learn English. So then the many students are trying to become more modern and they're trying to get away from their culture, trying to get away from their native language so they can adapt to be more like other people around the world. And this is because of an outside influence. So everyone, well, many people in India are trying to speak English. They're, they're trying to get away from Hindi and which is, uh, which is a really big problem which is happening in today's society in Canada and in India as well. I think that's a really good point that shows how Canada is really good at hiding its true values. When you think of Canada, for someone that's not Canadian, they always think of Canadians as respectful, kind, and as Canada as a country that is accepting of anyone, no matter their kind. However, with the treatment of international students that come from India and other foreign countries, we often see that they were forced to remove components of their own or native components of their culture because of what society thinks of them. For example, we see that many Indians that come to Canada often spend less time with their families, talk less with their families, because if they want to appear more Western to their families. Yeah, I totally see that happening, especially in places like Ontario and Quebec, where people forget uh, their original, their uh, culture. But places like Nunavut are more in line with their culture. They know um, their history a lot more than people in Ontario. Um, I didn't even know, like... I think it's really unique and interesting how you bring up the fact that none of it has its own cultural values, considering that it was only created in the 1990s during the last days of a Canadian government, in the hopes of boosting their own reputation. The Inuit participated in negotiations for over decades... Wait, The Inuit government participated in stressful and intense negotiations with the government and were declined for on numerous... What the fuck? <laughs> okay. The Inuit communities participated in stressful and intense negotiations with the Canadian government for years on end and were declined every single time. But only during the last few days of the Brian Mulroney government did the Canadian government finally decide that it was time to create none of it.
This shows how indigenous people have to use their own will and initiative to improve their standards of living, while the government just watches and does nothing. It shows how indigenous people have to use their own initiative and will to improve their living conditions, while the Canadian government just sits back and watch. This is often shown during political elections when various political leaders travel towards indigenous reserves and act as if they are providing services and working towards the improvement of their lives, but in reality, most of the year is spent just acknowledging these issues but taking very little action. Now, an example is like the Cree community found in Nor Norway House, Manitoba. So basically, the Cree community, I think I previously mentioned this in the podcast, but uh, the Cree community realized that the government was not doing all too much to help them. So then the government, I mean, sorry, the Cree community realized that they're not doing anything and they decided to work together. And by them working together, they ended up creating a whole school. So before there was a residential school, and later on, they renovated it and created a whole new school, which is called the Helen Betty Osborne Education Resource Center. And now this school is a really great school because it has many uh, benefits, accommodations, and it has really good salary, which pays to its uh, teachers. And it adapts to every single um, Cree student there, which and it's a, it's a very good provincial school too, which uh, adapts to its students. And it's very competitive in Manitoba as well. And this is all because of the Cree community's realizations and working together. I agree with you because the the, the government um, always acts like they've done so much good for the indigenous communities. But in reality, it's these other companies that are made to support the indigenous people that are actually helping them, not the government, which claims to do all the work for them. Ultimately, I, I think this really shows how performative society is. We often try to act like we're doing something to help us feel better about ourselves. But when it comes to actually taking change and actually making a meaningful impact, we often do not fulfill our actions and only make the actions in the hope of looking good in society. Like the government also says, like, uh, they, uh, they're going to incorporate the new uh, grade 11 course and they're going to have all these indigenous teachers to teach about um, the First Nations and everything so that students and high school students are informed. But in reality, that's not really the case because so many teachers out there that are teaching that course are not even indigenous themselves. And <clears throat> for example, then if we bring it back to the, the school in Norway House, that school has 84 teachers and half of the teachers are indigenous. So it means that it comes from a direct source and that shows that how the community is working together to help its students so then they are, there's no misinformation and that there is no rumors that are being spread because it's coming from a, in, like a direct source. And if we even look at the change we have right now, with the grade 11 course in English, for example, this change has taken so long considering, when, in, considering the date of when indigenous genocide was started. Since the foundation of this country, indigenous have always been overlooked and devalued, and only now in 2022 are they really being acknowledged and celebrated in the educational system.
Adding on to that point of like the school system, the school even practices like so much inclusion. So like students with special needs are not put in a, another classroom so they're away from other students. They're participating activities and they're in the exact same classroom with, as other students. And this shows inclusion and they're participating activities. And the Cree community realized that, okay, um, that we should practice inclusion and with all these students being in the same classroom no no students are being bullied everyone is working together and understanding their differences and i also feel like um relating to what you guys said uh the government really doesn't add like things about the indigenous people in our curriculum and even when we learn about the indigenous people we don't learn the full story about them we don't know like everything the government did. We don't know their um, achievements and so on. So I feel like the government should more so focus on those things rather than just like saying a story and then being done with it. Adding on to what was said earlier as about how um, the indigenous grade 11 course is not being taught by indigenous teachers. You can't really have the full um, experience and knowledge that you gain from um, being taught by an indigenous teacher about this subject. It kind of just feels like um, just grade 11 regular university uh, English instead of the uh, indigenous course. Or when the any course in general is being taught and it's related to indigenous people, uh, we have noticed that in really focuses on the negative, the negatives, like all the negative impacts that happen to indigenous people. They never talk about their achievements and anything that good they have done. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with this because mo like the school system mainly focuses on colonial views instead of the views of indigenous people. So we don't really get a grasp of like what's really going on and how the indigenous people feel. Instead, we just get the viewpoint from the government. This always sometimes shows that like how the government failed to really remove indigenous people from Canada and adopt them into Western society. But since because of their failure, they're not really able to do much, but have to be forced to celebrate them. For example, during the 1990s and 1980s, when the indigenous were advocating for their rights, and constantly negotiating with the government for more rights over their own land and culture, the government often told them that, we'll agree with you, but only if you extinguish your title of indigenous or lose your con connection to your culture. It really shows that how indigenous communities are still devalued by the government, even though the government tries to claim that they are accepted. Um, this is true um, on multiple occasions where the government did not value the indigenous people as much as the uh, citizens of Canada. And like one example of this is the Oka crisis where the Canadian government really valued the citizens of the town of Oka more than the Mohawk people who had lived there for generations. And they allowed the town to continuously expand into the Mohawk people's land and until they were like pushed out into like a very small amount of land and the Mohawk people finally had to stand up to the town of Oka. 
You know, it is crazy how Canada's bringing in many people from different places, a bunch of immigrants coming to Canada, and they're being uh, recognized more than the original people, the um, indigenous people of Canada. Um, like, like, it's absolutely insane that, um, what was I gonna say? This is true on so many occasions because the Canadian government has valued the uh, citizens of Canada much more than the indigenous communities of the country. Um, one of these examples are when the Canadian government chose not to do anything about the Oka crisis for a long time because the town of Oka continuously expanded into the Mohawks land and the Canadian government really did not care until the um, Mohawk people really stood up against the, the town of Oka and that's when the Canadian government chose to send the military to stop the, um, the Mohawk people from like revolting and protecting their own land. You know, it is crazy how Canada brings in so many people into the country, a bunch of immigrants, and treats them a lot better and values them a lot more than uh, the original people of Canada, indigenous people, like the people who were originally here. I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of bias in that because Canada, the government of Canada itself, are immigrants, not the original people of this land, so... Yeah, just like previously mentioned in the podcast, we talked about how the government of Canada does anything to give themselves a leverage. So an example is like, just like what Alex just said about the immigrants, an example is like the refugees, where um, Canada brought in many refugees from Syria. And of course, that's a great thing. But they gave them like Canada Goose shirts, and they gave them warm welcomes, and they gave them a place to live and everything. But the indigenous people, the people whose land we are on right now, right now living on at the moment we're not doing anything to help them there are so many indigenous people that are homeless and that are cold they don't have anything anything to eat they're struggling just to live another day uh, but the government of canada is not really helping them unless there's anything that can that they can do to give themselves a small little leverage that is a really interesting point kanish it really shows how absurd the political perspective of canada is we have the colonizers or non-indigenous people who are at the top of canada's priority list any of their concerns are always recognized or addressed by the government. Then we have refugees or immigrants who come to Canada hoping for a better life and already go through struggles trying to create a new job, creating a family, creating a stable life in general. And then at the bottom, we have indigenous communities who have been on this land for generations, which struggle to get basic services like clean drinking water or even get their rights or requests heard by the government. For example, if a common populated area such as Toronto experienced a clean unclean drinking water crisis government the government wait, wait, hold on that is a really interesting point Kanish which shows how weird and absurd the Canada's political perspective is there, I feel like there's three tiers there are non-indigenous communities who are at the top of Canada's party list any of their concerns are always heard and addressed by the government and below that we have indigenous that is a really interesting point, Kanish, which shows how absurd the Canadian government really is. At the top of their priority list, they have 
non-Indigenous people whose rights are always heard and addressed by their government. Pull that we have refugees and immigrants who come to Canada in hopes of a better life and still go through struggles like trying to create a new job and having a stable family. And right below that, we have Indigenous communities who struggle to access basic human rights such as clean drinking water or access to proper health care. For example, if a popular area such as Toronto would experience an unclean drinking water crisis, the government would prioritize so many funds towards addressing that issue. But for same Indigenous reserves that are going through unclean drinking water reserves right now and have boiling water alerts, the government really takes any action on them. Yeah, and I find that really weird and interesting because Indigenous people were here first on this land. They know everything about this land. And it's kind of like they should have like that quote-unquote kickstart. They should be on the top of the table. They should be able to like, it should be like perfect for them right now. But in reality, because of like all these things that the government has caused, it's like, it's like totally upside down for them. And they're like all the way on the bottom of the table. Yeah, that is completely true. You know, I think this is caused um, by, you know, Europeans coming along and bringing a lot of things like um, cities back uh, in the pre-colonization days of Canada. There were no cities. It was all villages. Uh, They brought over farm animals. They did not have horses in uh, North America, believe it or not. Um, They were all brought over and um, they were basically just... um, uh, they now just have a system that disadvantages uh, uh, the original people of the land. This really highlights and shows back to the original message or purpose of colonization, which was to disempower and establish power to colonizers. Even though colonialism was a long time ago, many of the col- most colonizers and their descendants are no longer in power, this power arrangement is still here, and many indigenous communities are still a victim of this power arrangement that empowered colonizers and created a disparity for indigenous people. And right now, these indigenous communities are the same communities that are protesting to rebalance this power arrangement and establish more self-sufficiency and sovereignty over their own rights. Yeah, it's kind of like, it might sound like these are great advancements, but in reality, they're not really. When you actually like, when you think about old horses and all these city advancements and water and things like that, you think that that's great and all these systems, but in reality, it's not doing all that much because of you lost, you gained something great, but you lost something horrible. Along with uh, cities and farm animals also came stuff like plagues. Old Canada, pre-colonization Canada, did not have any plagues, uh, believe it or not. Um, these were caused by, you know, cities um, st- uh, and farms, um, livestock. Um, they were mainly spread through animals. Um, and uh, now they're reliant on stuff like vaccines, you know. And they're reliant on cities to keep, like, um, you know, Canada running. While there's not much of um, actual indigenous, like, communities left. I agree because many of the things that Europeans brought to the um, continent of North America were mainly there to support them and not the indigenous communities. So now, now times, uh, most of the infrastructure we have placed are here to support the citizens of Canada and not the indigenous people who were here previously, which is really unfair for them because they are in. Um, they don't have like the same quality of life things that we have, like clean drinking water, like ease of access to food and so on. 
Yeah, I really want to grab a sentence that you said out of there. You just said that how they focus on the citizens of Canada and not indigenous people. Well, indigenous people are citizens of Canada, but based on how the government is treating them, it makes it seem like they're not even citizens anymore of Canada. They're just a part of Canada, but they're not really making any contributions or anything because it's like the government just pushed them aside on just onto like a small corner, just trying to push them off. It's crazy how... Um you know, the, the remaining, um, this last remnants of indigenous communities are at the very top of Canada in places like Nunavut, where they just have their own safe havens free from uh, whatever Ontario and all the urbanization that's happening there. And when we talk about indigenous and their struggles to get recognized by the government, we always talk about that like it's in the past and that indigenous people are okay now, but really they are not. Even now, Inuit communities in Nunavut are still advocating for this, the drilling of oil to be stopped in the Arctic. With the close connection to their land that Inuit people have, the Canadian government has completely ignored this connection to their culture and authorized oil drilling companies to exploit the resources of their land for their own economic benefit. I feel that this also relates to how when Canada wanted to make a pipeline, many indigenous communities, not all, but most of them, really stood up against it because it really went against a lot of their rules, like uh, protecting the environment and so on. So it's important that uh, the government really accepts these like requirements that the indigenous people put up because it was originally their land. And it's also important that we conserve the land that they want to keep safe. Yeah, one thing that happened was that the indigenous community was like protesting and everything they all came together and realized that this is against the their motives and against like what their uh what they want uh because like their culture says that they should protect all these things like for example uh they wanted a the government of canada want to build like oil pipelines on like where bisons lived and bisons are really uh sacred towards indigenous people so they all realized that okay, this is a really wrong thing that is happening that the government is doing. So they all came together and tried to fix the problem. Although it did not work that great, but it, this is very positive how they came together and uh, came together as a community. I think that really highlights a key contribution of indigenous communities towards Canadian society. Like Kenneth said, indigenous have always been advocating for their rights, always asking for better rights and better living conditions, which really has instilled more activist values into Canadian society. For example, with the recent Iran protests in downtown Toronto due to the Iranian government's brutality and the regime, it really shows how Canadians are not scared anymore to stand up and ask for change in order to achieve a more just society that is equitable for everyone and treats everyone how they deserve to be treated. That begs the question, why in the first place should uh, indigenous people have to uh, beg for um, their, their ideas to be respected? They're part of Canada too. Um, they should not be shoved aside just like, um, yeah, just like they uh, just took away their land and pushed them aside. We've been focusing a lot on like the negative impacts that the government has done to the indigenous people. But now let's focus on the positive things and the achievements that the indigenous people have completed. 
so one really positive thing that I want to bring back to is the Cree community found in Norway, Norway House, Manitoba. Now, this community has faced so many struggles of the government not helping them. They, uh, many people in the community have been like uh, brutally beat up, killed, like at least three people have gone missing and they've dealt with so many negative things. But they realized that these negative things they cannot change the past, but they can focus on the future and focus on the things that they can do in their control. So then they started many, uh, many foundations and things like that and associations. They made schools. They made uh, many police departments that work together. So they have like police departments which focus on like uh, if so the dispatcher can speak both English and Cree. So then the, they can adapt to everyone in the community so that they can dispatch and convey the right message. The radio focuses on the community and when people call the radio, it's a, people usually call to get all their thoughts out and everyone's helping each other in one way or the other. And this shows truly how it is to be an indigenous person in Canada. And this also just defines collaboration and resiliency as they're just bouncing back from something that was so negative. I feel like this is also really apparent in how like the indigenous people are taking control of their own stories because for example um the podcast that i watched unreserved or the series that i watched which was unreserved was made by indigenous people who wanted to share their own stories so i feel like it's like really important how they're getting their word out and so on I think that indigenous people should at least try to get their word out on their thoughts of Thanksgiving. Right now, it's just considered by Canada to be a day of celebration. When um, for them, it's a lot more than that. It's a day of mourning, and uh, it has nothing to do with celebration for them. Yeah, and I think that this truly shows the empowerment through working together and collaboration and resiliency through realizing that you can't change anything that happened in the past, but you can focusing, uh, focus on the things in the future and focus on fixing things. I really like the word you use, that you can change the future. What's happened in the past cannot be unchanged, but what we can focus on is to reconcile for these past actions and work towards improving for a better future that supports everyone. An example of this is the Aboriginal Sports Circle, a non-profit organization that is created for the sole purpose of supporting the health and well-being of Indigenous communities throughout Canada, which really shows that how Indigenous communities have redefined what it means to be Canadian. I like that you use the word future in that sentence. Although we are not able to change the actions in the past, we can focus on creating a more positive future. Indigenous communities like the Cree have de demonstrated this exactly. Ultimately, this shows how Indigenous communities have redefined what it means to be Canadian, showing resiliency and collaboration and that you can always achieve your goals with persistence. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Canada's Hidden Stories. Follow us on all social medias and catch our next episode airing on Spotify.